Hi, I'm Angie Wesley. Welcome to the ProGrace podcast, having new conversations about abortion. Today we are in Chicago. It's sunny in Chicago in April, which is pretty amazing. Denise and I are here with Sky Jatani. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you. So Sky is an author, speaker, co-host of the Holy Post podcast, which I was honored to be on maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. And you have a new devotional out. It's not that new. It's been out since 2014. Oh. It's a daily devotional. <laughs> okay. It's out every day, pretty much. There you go. Yeah. And one day with God? Every- with, with God daily. Okay. <laughs> dot com. Sorry. I've been traveling. <laughs> Quite all right. Withgoddaily.com. Great. Well, thanks for being here with us. And I was to say in earlier, I think you're really brave, Sky, because we've only had a couple conversations about this controversial topic of abortion. And now you're on a podcast. I don't know if I'm it. the one who's brave here or you are. <laughs> We're going to find out. Yeah, you don't know what you're in for. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, um, as with all our podcasts, we just want to model how to have these conversations. So we're just going to ask you some questions. And all three of us are free to say, I don't want to answer that <laughs> or talk about that. Okay. Or say, hey, um, I want to take that back. Let me try that again. Because these conversations are hard to have. We know that. So we're just... Doing it, and we'll see how it goes. Oh, I, I, one of the things I appreciate are Christians who actually want to have difficult yeah. conversations because mm-hmm. so much of the church tends to avoid things mm-hmm. these days that, mm-hmm. that shouldn't be. So right. I'm glad you're modeling that. Good. Well, Thanks. we're glad you're here taking us in a new direction today. So you already have some thoughts that you told me ahead of time of what you've been thinking about. So why don't you yeah, well, start us off? To be fair, this is not my daily conversation. Right. Like I, I don't, I don't meet somebody new and start out by saying, have you considered your eternal destiny? And then what do you think about abortion? That's not, <laughs> right. That, that's not how things usually go. No, you, you lead with that. Huh? You guys are in this world day in and day we out yes. and have had countless conversations. Yes. yes. You, you probably understand many facets to this that mm-hmm. I haven't even thought of. So I mm-hmm. feel a little bit like the student here rather than oh. the teacher, but yeah, I've had okay. some thoughts about yeah, it. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I like the way you think, and I know you think a lot. So go ahead and lead with what you uh, told me earlier. Okay. Well, one of the, obviously, for the most part, I think people bump into this issue uh, in the in the context of politics. Right. Mm. And then that's legitimate. I don't think that's that's to be avoided. But I don't think a lot of people think through the implications of what happens if they win the political battle. Right. So on the pro-life side, obviously there's a lot of desire to overturn Roe v. Wade. Right. And that has been presented for decades as the goal. Yeah. Like get the right justices on the Supreme Court, get the right elected officials to put the right justices right. on the Supreme Court and overturn Roe v. Mm-hmm. Wade. Yeah. What if that happens? Mm-hmm. What if they win that decades-old battle? Then what? Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have that conversation mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. because I think it uncovers some of the short-sightedness of the issue. Um, and one of the reasons this is on my mind is I've been reading a biography of Frederick Douglass, oh. the abolitionist, yeah. former slave, yeah. abolitionist, uh, one of the leading voices of that movement in the 19th century. And his journey was really interesting because he he moved between different abolitionist groups. There were, there were all kinds of factions who thought slavery was wrong and evil and wanted to get rid of it, but they had different strategies for how to do it. And some felt like actually wanted to destroy the United States. They thought the entire country was fundamentally evil and flawed and the constitution, which sanctioned slavery was evil and flawed. And he was a part of that for a while. And then he changed his ideas and moved toward the, the new Republican party at that time which said, let's just stop the expansion of slavery and then eventually dismantle it. And he became more pragmatic. And then even after the Civil War, 
you know, they technically won, right? They got rid of slavery, but what ended up happening, you still had rampant evil racism mm-hmm. for well over a century yeah. and, and Jim Crow and all the other kind of breakdown of reconstruction. So even the abolitionists didn't think through mm. what do we do if we win? Right. Yeah. How do we make this country function? Because the evil wasn't just slavery. Right. The evil was racism. Right. That allowed slavery to exactly. flourish. And the war didn't touch that. Right. So I think in a lot of the political conversation around abortion on the pro-life side, there is this single-minded, we just need to overturn Roe v. Wade. And thinking, there's this magical thinking that if you do that, you've solved the problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't think enough people are contemplating what the deeper issues really are beyond the politics. And they're not thinking through if we do win, what next? Mm -hmm. And so for me, that, that opens up a can of worms into social issues, spiritual issues, uh, moral issues, economic issues, the, the real nitty gritty of abortion that whether or not Roe v. Wade gets overturned, we should be wrestling with. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that that's kind of the big picture of what's on my mind yeah. and why it's on my yeah. mind. And we can get into that if you'd like. Well, but. We, we're hoping you have the answer. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah, I've got it all <laughs> yeah. figured out. It's not complicated at all. Right. Right. Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, abortion's legal. I've never had one, so I've never exercised my right to choose. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. the, the issue is why? Not because I'm more moral than other people or what I'm protesting that it's legal. I've never been in the situation where I felt so desperate that it was my only right. choice. I know enough stories now to know that had I been in some of those stories that I've heard, I would have definitely considered it. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that's right, but I'm saying I wouldn't have thought at that moment, is this legal or not? Right. You're just crying out to say, I've got to get out of this. It's a survival decision. And that I think is the question people aren't asking. Kind of like what allowed slavery to flourish? Racism. Mm-hmm. Well, what causes a woman to mm-hmm. pursue an abortion? It's not that it's legal. And she says, Hey, it's legal. I'm going to go exercise my right to choose. It's the underlying negative narrative in the culture of what's going to happen to her. And that is a passion of Denise and mine that Mm. that just doesn't get talked about enough. And that's there, whether it's legal or not. Exactly. You know, there, there, we, there's enough history now to realize simply making something illegal or simply making it uh, difficult to access doesn't stop people. Right. Prohibition, mm-hmm. right? right? The the the, yeah. the making alcohol illegal did not stop people from right. consuming alcohol. Um, you can see that in the illicit drug trade today. I mean, we have an opioid epidemic in this country, even though technically access to those drugs in most places is yeah, illegal. illegal so we go on and on throughout history. And the irony in my mind as a Christian is we are people who have a scripture that reinforce the idea that law by itself does not transform mm-hmm. hearts, mm-hmm. Right. Right? right? And yet we tend to have this magical thinking that if we just pass the right laws, yeah. if we just make abortion more difficult to access or not legal, it's going to solve the problem. And it's not, it's complicated. I, another kind of contemporary example and not to open up a whole nother oh, front okay. is, is guns. Yeah. I mean, I think by all admissions on all sides, we have a problem with gun yeah. violence in this country. Right. Um, one side thinks just passing certain laws will stop it. The other side says no laws. We just, you know, Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Neither one of them is right. There, it's a combination. I do think there there's a legitimate conversation to be had about law and politics yes. around abortion. Yes, um, definitely. I think some of the laws in this country on the issue are are tragic and draconian and way uh, more 
kind of grotesque in my mind than even some secular Western European countries, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We, right? So there needs to be reform of legal yeah. abortion and all that. I, I support that entirely. I think our laws are horrible. So I, I applaud Christians who have a vocation who are called to address those problems, but that alone right. is not the solution. Right, yeah. right. Well, and that I think, this is what we are seeing, and tell me what you think about this. In the church, so Big C Church, which mm-hmm. embodied in local churches, because we've so seen the answer as political, now we're seeing pastors and churches stepping out of the abortion conversation because there is no other way to frame it except for legal. So right. when you look at how Jesus talked about what our what the church was to do, we were to pray, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth, and we're to be the ambassadors of that kingdom. Well, in this issue, we've become more ambassadors for a political mm-hmm. side, and now in the church, it's not even being talked about. And if it's being talked about, it's not really very often being talked about from a kingdom perspective, mm-hmm. but more from a legal perspective. Yeah. And I don't know if you see yeah. that as well. I do. And, and uh, there was a recent study that came out. I saw the report written up in Christianity Today, that more and more pastors, a significant number of pastors, are reluctant to talk about any so-called social issues because they're worried about alienating people Mm -hmm. and because everything has become politicized. So immigration is politicized. The NFL has become politicized. Everything has become politicized. Abortion has been that way for decades. And so rather than seeing this as um, a moral issue, a deeply troubling personal issue, a spiritual issue, a family issue, mm-hmm. a community issue, it's it's relegated to it's a political issue. Right. And therefore churches don't want to touch it. They don't want to go there. Uh, and, it, and they leave it in the hands of a few highly uh, politicized activists in the Christian subculture to engage it. And we think that's the only way to engage it. Right. And that's tragic. Right. So Sky, if you were in charge of the world, <laughs> maybe you are, and could get this conversation going beyond politics and engaging in a different way. What would your hopes and dreams, where would you like to see it go? Oh my goodness. That's a big question. Um, you know, my background as a student was in history and I think this sounds totally dry and academic, but I think for some people, particularly those who've never had a direct experience with an unplanned pregnancy or or kind of the emotional turmoil of that whole experience, I think they need to know a little history. Mm. I think they need to understand that abortion is not a modern idea. It's been around for a very, very long time. And it's always been part of the human experience. It's always been part of women and their, their story of, of reproduction, of horrible relationships, of the trauma that, So it's always been part of our story, and there have always been ways that society has tried to deal with this, some more compassionate and some less. So we need to recognize this didn't just drop from the sky in 1973. So that's number one. Number two, I think we need to begin to engage uh, a broader ethic of truly affirming life, including lives of women, including lives of unborn children, including lives of those who are marginalized and forgotten and and, uh, demonized by our culture. Mm -hmm. And you paint that bigger fabric. I think the Catholic Church talks about that, the seamless fabric of life Mm -hmm. from the womb to the tomb kind of thing. Consistent. Consistent, right. Like painting that theological vision for life. And then you can start talking about what what does this mean for our community? Mm -hmm. What does it mean for... You know, what are the issues that lead a woman to contemplate making yeah. this decision mm-hmm. and recognizing it's not just a political 
issue. It's an economic issue. It's a moral issue. It's a, it's a deeply psychological and spiritual issue. And how do we then as a Christian community come alongside people on all those fronts? And some of us have different callings within that, right? right? Some right. do have a political calling to engage on that level, the legal side of things, but others have other callings and we need to acknowledge and affirm that diversity of engagement rather than making it only one. Right. But so, I think having the history and the, the, yeah. the biblical vision makes that yeah. more possible. Yeah, totally. I hadn't thought about the history before. Yeah, that's good. Well, that is good. And it, it you know, women have also been oppressed for centuries. And, and yeah. like you said, oppressed sometimes because of our reproduction and not taking into account those complexities and the history of it. Mm-hmm. So where are you seeing the church? Because you are on the Holy Post podcast. You guys deal with a lot of issues. Yeah, we see all things. Yeah. We are like the eye of Sauron. Right. We, we've got everything covered. Okay. So where are you seeing Christians being unlocked, I guess, or freed up to look at the more um, complexities? Like what issues? And so I guess because I'm trying to take away what's working right now where the church is having a more holistic view of something and compassionate rather than one-sided. Are you seeing anything working that we could translate to the abortion conversation? Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, not easy because, uh, as I said, everything's become politicized. Yeah. And that you know, the, the, the kind of train wreck that we see in Washington, D.C. going on right now is so captivating. It's easy to just... That. Look at that mm. all the time. So it's just distracting. It is, but and, and not just on this issue, but on many, many, mm-hmm. many issues. Uh, I've had lots of conversations with people around the country engaging on the um, the immigration front, okay. right. right? Where it's not just about politics; it's about these are real families and people, right. and how to, uh, the LGBT issue, yeah. right? That's become right. obviously very politicized, right. and yet there are wonderful conversations happening on the lowest altitude between the gay community and believers yeah. and all everything in between there that, that are encouraging to me. Yeah. And I think that those are examples that can transfer over to this complicated yeah, right. issue. The hard part is, can we just kind of put our fingers in our ears a little bit and turn off the media yeah. and sit down as human beings mm. and listen to one another's stories yes. and ask good questions and not, jump to conclusions, but uh, gosh, the stuff that happens at a kitchen table or a coffee house or in just in that human scaled engagement, Mm -hmm. which is not framed entirely by what's on cable news. That that's what needs to happen. You know, one of our questions when Angie and I started this journey uh, 12 years ago or whatever was if Jesus were here today and he was sitting across from a woman facing an unplanned pregnancy or those who, who had thoughts about it, how would he engage them? And what you're saying about the kitchen table in a coffee shop reminds me of how Jesus engaged. But speak to that a little bit. Uh, uh, I think he lived in a time that was heavily politicized as well. Mm-hmm. We don't think about this a lot, but of course the Jews were living under Roman occupation. Yeah. And there were there were kind of three responses to that occupation. On one extreme, you had the zealots, who were essentially Jewish terrorists, who were trying to drive through violence the Romans out. Then you had people like Matthew, who were accommodationists, who said, they're here, let's make the best of right. it, let's work with them. We'll make some money. Um, right, collector. make some money, yeah. let's mm-hmm. just go with yeah. the flow. And then there yeah. were, I think, a whole bunch of Jews in the middle yeah. who were going, we don't like this, we're crying mm-hmm. out to God for some kind of solution, but we don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus went around speaking and preaching and doing his thing, 
people are trying to put him in one of those categories. Mm. Are you, you know, is it okay to pay taxes to Caesar right. or not? Like that's where that came from, right? Because of one of those three, they wanted to put him in a category oh. like whose side are you on in yeah. this whole kind of culture, this like cultural it. debate? Yes, um, the culture wars, the yeah. culture Jesus. wars, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and at every turn, he avoided mm. playing that game. Yeah, and I think similarly if we project forward to our day and if the topic on the table is abortion, the powers that be are going to want to say, are you pro-life or pro-choice? And Jesus would say, I'm, I'm not playing that game. You know, I, I I want to talk to the person in front of me Mm. and understand their story and love that person where they are and advocate for their life and the life of all of God's creatures. So good. But, that again, I don't want that to mean any political engagement is a bad thing. Absolutely, it's right. about vocation. It's about calling. Mm-hmm. If God right. has called you to that, by all means, do it faithfully. Right. Well, but that's not the it, only way to engage. Right. And some of it's stewardship. Like I feel very uh, blessed to live in America, where we have this ability to vote, and I think we need mm-hmm. to do that. But I like your point of if that's the only way. Mm-hmm. There are some consequences we're dealing with now because that's been the only way mm-hmm. for the past 40 years. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to, I mentioned earlier, Frederick Douglass and kind of the abolitionist movement 150 years ago. There were a lot of white northern abolitionists who wanted to end slavery because they saw it as an evil. And they were rooting that belief in their Christian convictions. Okay, yes, right. But they also wanted to end slavery and send all of the slaves back to Africa. Oh, that was their answer. That was their answer because they did not believe that whites and blacks could ever integrate mm. into a harmonious society. Yeah. So their idea was, hey, this is an evil on our country. We need to end it. But I don't want to live next to a black mm. person either. Right. Wow. They, they also carried very racist yes. views of yeah. things and did not consider Africans their equals. Right. Yeah. So... The parallel to me is I think there are some conservative, politically active Christians who really believe abortion is wrong and an evil, and they want that changed, but they don't want to deal with the messy reality of (laughs) what that means. Right. Like, okay, what does that mean? It means there's going to be a lot of women in this country who are struggling with unplanned pregnancies that need help. Yes. Will you step up and deal with that messy reality and come alongside them? Or do you want to say, hey, I did my part. I voted. Right. We got it overturned. You know, kind of wipe right. your hands of it and go, you know, now right. now it's your deal. No, it, we're called to much more than that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think looking back at these prior social movements that were fueled by Christian conviction yeah. are important, not just to be inspired by their successes, but to recognize their shortcomings. Yeah, yeah and how we can learn from that. Exactly. Not to judge it, but right. Right. how we can let Scripture inform all of it, not right. just part of how we, and that's kind of what yeah. we talk about. Like the truth that the child is valuable to God is, is true. Yeah. It's so true. It's just not the full truth right. of God's heart. He yeah. cares about the woman too. He cares about them after the birth. So this isn't a undoing of anything. It's an expanding yeah. of right. God's heart. And there, to be fair, there are phenomenal women and men out there who are engaging this issue in a holistic right. way, who care deeply about the women, right. who are engaged in foster care and yes. adoption and mm-hmm. all the other things that are out there. And and these also have legal government components to them. Like, how do we make adoption more accessible? Right. How do we give better options to women? How do we make sure they get great health care and, and economic support? There are government components to that yeah. that we shouldn't ignore. Yeah. Um so there are great people doing really good work out there. Right. I just, it disturbs me that the rhetoric is so simplistic. Yeah. Yeah. And one-sided. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even if uh, as believers, as you say, some of us may be called into to politics and engaging in that way, 
But I often wonder about the how of it. There's a positive way, a, a Christ-like way, I would think, to engage in politics, and there's maybe a negative way. Mm-hmm. So, so speak to that a little bit in terms of this issue and what you see. Oh, you know, the, the, uh, the unfortunate reality is that the way politics works today in our country is primarily motivating people through fear. Mm. Right. Right. You frighten people into the right. voting booth. Right. Okay. And that means demonizing the other side. Right. You need to vote for me because if I don't win and that person does, it's over. Right. Yeah. And so you paint that other side, person, position, whatever, as you know, evil incarnate. And that's just not going to help us solve mm-hmm. problems. Right. And okay, here's we're getting into the political weeds a little bit. If you are pro-life and you want to see Roe v. Wade transformed or overturned or some significant changes made to the abortion laws in this country, you're not going to succeed at that without the help of Democrats. It's just not going to happen. Right. And in certain parts of the country, even if you overturn Roe v. Wade, then you have state legislatures, yeah. then you have city ordinances and you have it's all kinds just of the reality. It's just the reality. Yeah. You're going to have to partner with people who mm. are Democrat. You're going to have to partner with people who are pro-choice. Mm. You're going to have to figure out a way to do that. Yeah. And I heard a great quote recently, um, I forgot who said it on the internet. It was a great one, but he said, nobody's ever changed their mind by being insulted. <laughs> right. True. You're not, you're not right. going to browbeat people into agreeing right. with mm-hmm. you, but that is the way we're going about our politics yeah, today. Right. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to find common yeah. ground on some of these issues. Right. And it doesn't mean you're going to get a hundred percent of the victory you may want, yeah. but you're going to, I mean, going back again to the, to the slavery thing, it took a war yeah, I know. That a killed more Americans war. than any other war. It's right. and slavery, and it still didn't solve the problem right. yeah. because right. they didn't win the Southern leadership they needed to to right. transform yeah. the laws in those states. And they after. didn't win hearts. Exactly. So yeah. the, the, we have to be more, um, we have to have a longer vision for this. Right. And mm-hmm. even in the political realm, that means engaging in a way that says, I know a lot of Americans disagree with me on this issue, but where do we find common yeah. ground? Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and it's true on the left as well. I mean, they've right. so demonized the pro-life side, saying that they want to do yeah. all these horrible things, that they've advocated for policies that even the most liberal, secular societies in Western Europe find abhorrent. Right. So we're at this polarized extreme. Because afraid to lose ground. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, going back to your story thing, you know, we demonize a whole group of people. The only way that breaks down and it's impossible is to hear right. an individual story. Yeah. And I think, um, I read something recently. <laughs> this is terrible. I can't remember either. I tweeted it. Gosh, who wrote it? Oh, Michael Weir wrote it. And he said, um, too many politicians don't talk to anybody who disagrees with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is what allowed... So he was writing about the abortion law in, in New York State. Mm-hmm. I remember reading that, yeah. Yeah, and he's saying that if they had listened to what pro-life people think and heard the concerns, they would have realized how this, how triggering this would be and how mm-hmm. controversial, and they probably wouldn't have gone so far with it. But because everybody... And he was saying the, the pro-life side does this too, so this wasn't to point the finger just at pro-choice, but if as a politician you only spend your time talking to those who, di- who agree with you, then you're going to make laws and decisions that the other side finds abhorrent because mm-hmm. you don't even know what their triggers are. Right. You're just mm-hmm. guessing because we've stereotyped and demonized yeah. and we're not actually listening. Yeah. And when you listen, you might be surprised mm-hmm. that there is common ground, but you can't find common ground when you're demonizing a whole right. group of people. Yeah. And well, to take that to a higher level as believers and Christians, we have to be careful who 
we demonize? Who is the real enemy? And I think sometimes we mix that up. Well, I mean, yeah. You know, the, the rhetoric I often hear on, on the politically conservative kind of pro-life side is that you know, people are dehumanizing unborn children. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it possible. I was a hospital chaplain. I, I kind of mm-hmm. saw this up close yeah. where... I don't, we don't have to get into all that, but it like, no, we yeah, can. well, you know, it's just, it was really, it was a struggle for me because on numerous occasions I was entering hospital rooms with women or, or couples who had lost a child through mm-hmm. miscarriage mm-hmm. and, and the grief that they went mm-hmm. through. And then the same day I might be in a room with a woman who's about to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Right. And the only difference between their situations is in one case is the child was wanted and the other case, the child wasn't like, it's just, it was kind of schizophrenic for me Mm -hmm. to to think through that. But part of the reason we're able to do that as a culture is because certain segments have convinced people that an unborn child is not really a person, right? We depersonalize that child. And yet some of the rhetoric you hear from political conservatives does the same dehumanizing effect to their political adversaries, right? right, right, right? Where it becomes possible then to treat them like garbage. Yeah, right. So we we got to be careful we don't become the very thing that yeah, right. we are yeah. trying to fight right. against. Yeah, that's good. But on another level, um, oh, I had something else that I was going to say. Now it's it's just kind of let's wait. A, a, mm, it'll, it'll come back. back. <laughs> it'll come back. If it was good, it'll come back. It'll come back. Um, and I had something too, but then I was so wanting yours to come back that now I've forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> We've all hit a wall. Well, it's okay. So the 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 uh, okay. Let's talk about this. So not just demonizing the other side. But I think in our silence, let's say on the pro-life side, this is because this is where I came up from in our silence to talk about the woman mm-hmm. and her needs and exactly what's happening with her. I think that is taken as demonizing her too and dehumanizing her. I've heard women say, Oh, people just want me to be a walking womb. There's not, there's not a sense from women, even though you're saying there are good people who do care mm-hmm. for the women. It, that's not the perception. Right. So let's deal with perception. public perception. And that could be fueled by lies. Ultimately to Denise's point, the enemy is behind all of this. So of course there are lies, but have we as Christians done everything that we could do to talk about Jesus's value for a woman who's in this situation? Or have we left that out? And it's and almost yeah. the, the pro-choice side is seen as having the moral high ground in caring for women. Yeah, I think that's a big piece of it. Um, you know who's worth reading on this? Not abortion particular, but how do you engage across the divides right now? Is Jonathan Haidt? Do you know that name? Spell the last name. H a i d t. I don't know him. So he's fascinating. Okay. So he wrote a book called The Righteous Mind okay. about why we disagree about oh. religion, politics, okay. all these yeah. big issues. And he's written a new one. It's it's about Millennials on uh, the coddling of the American mind is a new. Oh. One. Anyway, he's an atheist, okay, but very sympathetic to religious belief. Interesting, but he, so he makes this, I think, very convincing. And he's a psychologist and a researcher, and like just brilliant. But anyway, he makes this case for how do people end up changing their mind about anything, whether mm. it's a religious belief or a political conviction or something as strongly held as being pro-choice or pro. What makes them change their mind? And he said. It's always a three-step process. Mm. And when he, when I heard him say this on some podcast, I thought about my own coming to faith, mm. and this is exactly how it happened. So he said, number one, people actually have to respect those who hold the belief that they disagree with. The actual person. The actual, they, right. The, the belief is different, but I'm going to respect you right. as a person. Right. So you might, you might be an atheist who's adamantly opposed to belief in Christ, but you meet some Christians and you go, 
I respect these people, mm-hmm. right? They, mm-hmm. they, they live honorably, mm-hmm. they're good people. You can see that that's the transformation that happened in our culture around LGBT issues, yeah. right? For a long time for most Americans, gay people were just an, uh, a stereotype, right. Right? right? But then my, you know, my cousin's gay, right. my uncle's gay, my, when you meet these people, my close friends, you, and you realize, I love these people, they're right. wonderful, I respect them, they're right. not the, the horrible stereotype, stereotype yeah. that I was led to believe. So that's yeah. st- step one. Step two then is, as you begin to investigate what the other belief system is, you come to a place of not necessarily believing it, but really wishing it were true. Mm. A place of thinking, man, I, I just heard an interview with a woman who was a, an atheist in college, and she talked about coming to faith in Christ, and she started reading a Philip Yancey book about the God of the Bible. And she's like, I didn't believe this God existed, but as I read more and more, I really wanted mm. him to exist. Um, I thought yeah. the world would be better in which there is this kind of God, right? right? Wow. Yeah. And then after those two steps, the argument for belief will form itself. Mm. Like you will choose the arguments that validate what you already want to be true. So now let's take that and put it into this okay. conversation, yeah. right? Number one, do people who are pro-choice know pro-life people that they respect? Mm-hmm. People who care about women, yeah. not just the unborn people children. People who want to have a conversation with them. And who want to listen, right. Yeah. Who, who aren't just dogmatic yeah, and shut down. Right. Yeah. Who, who they respect. Right. They may disagree with them, but they right. respect them. Then number two, is somebody pro, who's pro-life, can, can you present to them a vision of a world in which women don't have, have to, to choose yeah, abortion. Yeah. A world in which there are good options yeah, for them, in yeah, which they support. are cared for, they're mm-hmm. supported. I mean, I don't, I'm imagining there are lots of pro choice people out there who would actually love a world in which abortion wasn't necessary. Right, absolutely. And we know them. Like we we're friends with right. yeah, pro choice yeah, people. Right. Like that. Yeah. And so, and we're yeah. not talking about the, the most extreme, you know, Planned Parenthood kind of demonized stereotype that you see people just out there to make money off abortion, but like real people. Yeah. And there are real people we've met who worked at Planned Parenthood. That would want right. That. Yeah. yeah, but but, not, but the stereotype yes. that yes. gets presented out there yes. of like this bloodthirsty, right. horrible right. person just for money. Exactly. Yes. Right. Uh, so you get those two things in place: people who are pro-life or you know pro-grace, who 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 care deeply about everyone involved, and then present a vision of a culture or a world in which abortion isn't necessary right. because there are so many good. Right options and communities to care for these women and yeah. kids. And and then finally, then you presented them, well, how do we begin to move in that direction? Mm-hmm. Together. Together. Yeah. Yeah. What are common sense things we can do, whether political or just communal or familial that help move us in that direction yeah. that we can all get on board with? Right. Wow, that feels to me like the right direction yeah. to go rather than just making it a winner-take-all battle for a seat on the Supreme Court. Exactly. And it and- sounds like what you're saying involves looking at anybody as human and building a relationship, which again goes back to how Jesus would engage. Right. Yeah. And I want to encourage people. I actually am feeling encouraged right now, Sky, because I have not read Jonathan mm-hmm. and didn't know that, but this is what we started doing maybe 10 years ago, trying to have conversation. And we have pro-choice friends who want to see women not feel like they have to have an abortion. And we work together on common ground initiatives. Mm -hmm. So we know it's possible. And it took us listening. 
I think I was a little afraid to start talking. We have this idea that I'm going to change my beliefs if I talk to someone I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. So we were doing a workshop and I was preparing for it. And I was like, Lord, show me a time when Jesus talked to someone who didn't agree with his beliefs and how did he handle it? And the thought came to me all the time. <laughs> right, pretty much everyone. Yeah. Right? right? It's like, oh, and he lives in me. That mm -hmm. same spirit lives in me. So I can freely talk to people who believe mm -hmm. anything and just listen. And mm -hmm. that's been our journey yeah. is listening to individual mm -hmm. people. Right. So I want to encourage, you're absolutely right, yeah. that is when it happens. And if we present a world, what we dream of is presenting a world where the church is the first place mm -hmm. a woman yeah. would go. We're already set up to provide yeah. that support. Right. Talk about being able to have common ground with people who may still think abortion should be legal, yeah. but want to see a lot less of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I can envision a, an American society. Let's, let's say, I don't know, in five years, the number of abortions has been reduced by 25%. There would be a whole bunch of politically pro-life people who would be thrilled, right. Oh, right? Yeah. right? I think there's probably a bunch of politically pro-choice people who would also be happy with oh, that outcome. Sure, absolutely. Right? We, nobody likes abortion. Exactly. I mean, nobody's saying, "Oh, let's get as many women as we can to have abortion." Right. Unless I mean, I've heard some really whack out voices I on mean, an extreme, but they're not they're representative. Not, no, of, that's not right? the normal. So right. and right. yeah, so th there is a lot of space for common ground here, yes, yeah. but it we have to turn off. There's a political incentive for demonizing both sides. It raises a lot of money. It scares mm. people into the voting booth. It, it, and it rips us apart yeah, as communities and apart. families and churches. And we need, especially Christian leaders and churches standing up saying, we're not going to play that game. No, because Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't and the stakes are too high. Yeah, yeah. We need to come together and wow. talk reasonably yes. around what we do all share in common. So good. That's awesome. Can we okay. hire you to be a, because <laughs> you're so pro-grace and I love the way you speak. And, done. It's what done. What did you say? Political incentive to demonize people? Oh, absolutely. And again, it's not wow. just this issue. It's no, every issue. Yeah. And it's so, it's so the exact opposite of what Jesus did yeah. and how he interacted. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I know we're wrapping up time-wise, but I've been wanting to ask him this question. Yeah. So, so the story in John 8, Going back to Jesus, yeah. and um, you were talking about the three groups of the Jewish people, mm -hmm. and the Caesar question was an entrapment question. Mm -hmm. So that was an entrapment question, too, in John 8. It says they were asking Jesus this in order to trap him. Mm -hmm. Should we stone this woman or not? Mm -hmm. Was Can you talk to that theologically? <laughs> can I talk to I've, that I've been theologically? Wanting to know. We love that story. We use it a lot in our uh -huh. training. Why were they trying to trap him? Or do you know? Was It, it wouldn't have been those same three groups of Jewish no, people. No, because it wasn't strictly a political. It was about the law. It was right? about the, the law. law. And, and by that point, I think Jesus had already gained a reputation among some people as being squishy on the law. Oh, like right? why? Why does he heal on the Sabbath? Um, why don't? Why doesn't he fast? Uh -huh. Why does he hang out with sinners and tax collectors? Clearly, he must not take the law seriously. seriously? If, okay. And the Pharisees said, if he was really a prophet, he would know who he's eating with. Right. right. So they're trying to find. That's the entrapment idea. Okay. Is here's this woman caught in adultery. The law says right. this should be the outcome. What are you going to do, Jesus? Right. Um, but, you know, at every turn, he he was able to move past the particulars of the law to understand the bigger picture, heart. the heart mm -hmm. of God. And, mm -hmm. and this is why he told the story of the prodigal son, right, to a group of Pharisees. They were missing the heart of God. Right. Um, and he reveals that through the father in that story. So I think um, he he's able to step back and see the bigger picture. Yeah. The sin we want to condemn in the other person right. is just as... Pre prevalent in ourselves right. um, and we're not willing to do that it's the log in your own eye versus the yes, speck in your exactly. brothers um, so 
every step of the way, Jesus makes us uncomfortable because he forces us to deal with the garbage in, in us rather yeah. than mm-hmm. all Point. the garbage around Point us. Point exactly. Yeah. Uh, and they were saying he didn't value the law then. And I think what's so fascinating is the answer he gave them, he who is without sin can stone her. Right. He was the only one there then who could have. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. Right. Because he knew what he was going to do. I mean, it all comes back to his sacrifice and what he's done for us. But then we turn around and demonize a whole other group of people. Well, I, yeah, this opens up another <laughs> front in the conversation. But I, I know when I do that to another person or group of people, it's because it's a way of building my own sense of value. Yeah, feeling better about myself. I feel better. The more people who are below me, the higher I am. So I have to feel shame to try and do that, right? Right. If I really understand grace and I really understand who I am in Christ, for me at least, because I'm a recovering legalist. I mean, I was bad, really legalistic. Gave my life to Christ like 10 times Mm because I thought I'd backslidden. But the more I understand his grace, then the less I have to make myself feel better by putting people down because I already feel accepted by right. my father, right? I yeah. mean, theologically speaking, isn't that the answer for the church to mm-hmm. really understand what Christ has done, who we are in Christ, and then we can look at our neighbor and say, well, now I can see who they are and God's value for... I mean, I'm, I know I'm simplistic, but I mean, in my head, that's why we're called pro-grace. I really feel like if we understood who Jesus is, who he's made us to be, that would a lot of this would fall off. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I had a, a counseling professor when I was in seminary who used to say to us, um, oh, how did she frame it? Um, make no judgments where there is no compassion. Mm. It's beautiful. Which is another way of saying walk in someone else's shoes yes. for a little while. Yes. And, uh, you know, we're based on yes. our backgrounds and our theology and just who we are, when we encounter people who are engaged in something or doing something or are something that we just have a visceral reaction to, yeah. can't always stop that, right? It's just triggers in you, mm-hmm. right? But by God's grace, what we're supposed to do is, okay, before I react, I need to step back a little bit and ask myself, what would I be like in their shoes? Or why am I reacting this way? Or what in them is actually true of me? Right, what am I actually like (laughs) that I'm trying to... He who is without sin, throw the first (laughs) stone. Okay, this adulterous woman is here. Well, why am I reacting so vehemently? What's going on in me? Exactly. So we need to do that and step Mm -hmm. back. And so So even on this abortion issue... There's a lot of darkness in our culture around yeah. it, and there's a yeah. lot to react to. Yeah. We need to take a step back and make sure that we can see wh- where's the same darkness in us. Right. And even if we're taking what we consider to be the more righteous position, how are we using that to dehumanize the people yeah. we disagree with? Right. That's, that's so we're going to get your devotional right and read it every yeah. day so that yeah. we're reminded. No, I'm serious. Really I mean, I really good. think it comes back to that everyday yeah. understanding Here's who God is. Here's yeah. who I am. In order to, like you said, plug our ears to some of this noise, mm-hmm. sometimes I have to take a fast from it. Like oh, I yeah. can't even listen to it because it's too crazy. So any any uh, last thoughts before you leave us today? We are going to try and hire you after that. <laughs> yeah, I'm already done. I've done it already. that, yeah. do you have any last thoughts as we wrap up today? Oh, not really. Just, you know, like I said at the beginning, people have different callings and vocations yeah. around this topic yeah. or many others. others yeah. and, and, and you may not be on the front lines of fighting these issues. That's okay. We're all called in some way to bring light into the darkness of this True. world. Commune deeply with God and faithfully do what he's asked you to do in this. And, yeah. and, yeah. and, 
encourage and support others who have a calling that may be different. Absolutely. And I think the reason we have this podcast is to encourage people to just have a conversation, even if it's a, you know, you're a really safe person for us to have this with. Find someone who's safe mm-hmm. before we go out yeah. to the people we disagree with. Even just start talking to yeah. someone you think might agree with you, but listening yeah. and the wise, and then gradually taking those steps yeah. to, to get to know people yeah. so we yeah. don't demonize. Ask good questions. This yeah. is great. It's I want to have more around the kitchen table or coffee shop conversations with you for sure. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Sky, for being with us. And thank you for listening in and hope you were inspired to go have your own new conversations about abortion. Till next time. Thanks. Thanks.